Ephesians chapter 4. Hope you all got plenty to eat today. Boy, we had some good food down there at Taco Salad. How many of y'all had that taco salad? Wasn't that good? I'll tell you, I enjoyed that. And uh, that homemade store-bought pumpkin pie. Well, that, I mean apple pie, wasn't it? Apple pie, wasn't it? That was good stuff. And uh, some cookies down there and uh, had a good good time of fellowship. We thank the Lord for it. Ephesians chapter number 4. And uh, we're going to uh, use this passage. I've preached on it before and actually have taught uh, rather lengthy uh, on this regarding our philosophy and uh, purpose of ministry. And I think it's very important for us to understand and know our philosophy and purpose of ministry. Uh, why we do what we do. Why do we come together as a church? Why do we have uh, regular meetings? Why do we spend time in fellowship together and preaching? And um, uh, it's very, very important that we understand that purpose. And we're going to uh, approach it a little differently today. I'm going to give you um, just a thought, kind of a launching off point, a spring point, if you will, in the passage. And then we'll deal. Uh, I've got ten points today. And uh, how many of you believe in miracles? It'll be a miracle if we get through all ten of them. Uh, it might end up being a two-week uh, message. Either that or I'll let Brother Roberts preach it, and then you all can stay for a couple hours. And he, he could, He's the kind of guy, he can preach for two hours and you don't mind it. My voice kind of drones on and on and on, you know. So, All right, Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Father, we pray that you'll bless the uh, service this afternoon as we learn and uh, gain some practical helps of things that will be uh, useful in our lives and useful in the life and ministry of this church. I pray that you would uh, guide and direct, that your Holy Spirit will uh, teach us from your word the things that you would have in store for us this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> In verse number 12, we find a progression of things uh, that uh, God has given and that the apostles and the uh, prophets, which are no longer in existence today in the sense of what they were back then. Uh, an apostle had to be someone who saw Christ in his earthly ministry physically. So we do not have uh, apostles any further. Uh, we do not have prophets, prophets anymore in the sense of giving new prophecy. The Bible teaches that we have a completed revelation of God and that that's all that we uh, need and that it is not uh, something that will be uh, continually added to. And so we really don't have prophets anymore. However, uh, apostles and prophets both proclaimed God's Word. So if you will, let's take it from that vantage point, at least in those two areas. We do still have evangelists and we do still have pastors and teachers. And uh, Paul says this, that God gave these for the perfecting of the saints. Uh, the idea of maturing and helping to grow. Um, how many of you are, are all that you are supposed to be? You've reached the pinnacle. You are all that God wants you to be. Anybody here like that? Reagan, she is 16 years old and she is on top of the world. Okay? The truth is, we are all growing, aren't we? And some of us are at some level spiritually and some of us are at another level spiritually it doesn't mean that one is superior than the other, but that we're all on that same journey. We're all trying to do it. Now, the, the key is, in the Christian life, to stay motivated to grow every day. Uh, because one of the things that happens is we get to a certain level, and we're satisfied there, and we think, well, we've reached it, and that's all we need to do. 
the perfecting of the saints is something that will take place until the Lord returns. Uh, so you, lest we get to the point where we say, well, I've learned all I could from that pastor. Uh, I don't even need to go to church anymore. Uh, not until we're perfect, okay? So uh, he gave these things for the perfecting of the saints, uh, for the work of the ministry. And the reason that we perfect and we mature uh, people in the church is so that we do the work of the ministry and we can do it as workmen that need not to be ashamed, uh, well-equipped, well-trained, uh, well-versed in handling the Word of God. It's amazing to me how many Baptists don't know why they're a Baptist. <laughs> uh, how many people come to a church and they don't know what the church's doctrine is. They don't know, uh, they don't know what the Bible has to say about things. It's amazing how many people will have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, but they feel inadequate with Scripture to be able to do so. And so the, one, of the, one of the roles of the church and one of the roles of a preacher and a, and a pastor and a teacher is to uh, perfect people to see a growth. I, I'm not worried about numbers. I, I got over that a long time ago. Uh, I'm satisfied with the numbers that God brings to this church. Uh, but what I do, what, what I do weigh as, as a measurement of a successful church is, are the people in the church growing spiritually? Is there, is there something that they are um, uh, further advanced in today in God's Word and in their walk with God than there was yesterday? And that we constantly be making steps forward. Now, you and I both know the reality of it is usually we take a few steps forward and, and there are times we take a step back. And then we have to push hard again. We kind of get charged up again and ready to, to take a step forward. So this perfecting of the saints is so that we can do the work of the ministry and do it well. Uh, that we can be workmen that need not to be ashamed and handle the Word of God skillfully and rightly divide or understand, interpret, understand, and know the Word of truth. And then it says this, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The reason we do the work is for the edifying of the body of Christ. And I want to focus in on that last phrase that Paul uses here, on the edifying of the body of Christ. The word edify here means to build up, to undergird, uh, to support, to uh, build a foundation and build upon it. Uh, the idea being that we're to uh, help one another and growing. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual condemn him, right? That's what the Baptist interpretation of Scripture is. Sometimes, you at your spiritual what? Restore them in a spirit of meekness, right? So, so the idea is we see a brother overtaken in a fault with humility, having prayed and made sure our hearts are right. We go to them not judgmentally, not to, 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 to cast them down or make them feel bad, but to undergird them, to edify them, to help build them up, get them back to where they need to go. And, uh, and so we, we do that. I would hope if, if I struggled and stumbled in some things spiritually, that someone would come to me and say, Brother, let me help you with that. Uh, let me, let me uh, uh, pray with you. Let's, 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 let's meet weekly. Let's study Scripture together. Let's learn. I would hope somebody would do that with me. And that's one of the things that I believe is very lacking in our churches a lot of times, is that we, we, we see people that are at different levels in their spiritual life, their, their growth is at different places and stages, and rather than try to encourage each other to go and grow uh, more, uh, we, we tend to, to, to talk about them or to be critical of them, because they're not all that we are, or maybe they're somebody and we're not, you know, maybe they're more spiritual than we are, and, and we get envious of that, and we become critical, overly critical. How do we go about edifying the body of Christ? Uh, we know that we're supposed to do it, right? Uh, does the Bible give us some guidelines on that? Does it tell us how we go about edifying the body of Christ? And the answer is yes, it does. 
So I'm going to give you ten things today, uh, as, as normally on the afternoon services, we're trying to keep it very practical, very biblical-based, uh, of things that are helpful, things you can grab a hold of today and use in your life. And I will tell you this, this list is not exhaustive. In fact, I came across uh, a much shortened list of this that, that gave me the thought and the seed for the sermon uh, this afternoon, the message this afternoon. And I'm going to use a couple of the points that I had read in an article and then a number of points that I've added to it. And the truth is there's probably that many more or, or, or three or four times more that we could continue adding to the list. Uh, but we're going to give you some things that I believe uh, are very, very uh, pointed in Scripture regarding edifying the body of Christ. And we're going to use this, uh, uh, this phrase, the body of Christ, uh, in a very general sense to mean our church, okay? If, you, if you'll bear with me on that. Uh, that, that, that this is the body of Christ that God has here, this local church body of believers. Uh, we're all fitly framed together, united together. God's brought people here, and, and each of us has a purpose. Uh, the first thing we find about how to edify somebody, we're going to find in Hebrews chapter number 10. Keep your Bibles handy, and we're going to be turning to a lot of Scripture here, because uh, you all really don't need to know what I think about a matter. Uh, we need to know what God's Word says about it. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter number 10. And uh, we'll look in verse number 25, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25. The Bible says, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching." If you've never taken the time to read chapter 10 in its entirety, and especially uh, from 19 on, uh, leading into this particular verse, a lot of times we take this verse and we make it stand alone on its own, but Paul again uh, who I believe wrote this, uh, was a master at laying a foundation here. And, uh, so I, and, he, and he draws that conclusion. But look here, if you will, uh, that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The best way to help strengthen a church is to stay where you're planted. Stay where you're planted. I, I, I say that, and I'm going to give this disclaimer. I understand and I know, simply because I've been there, that God does, from time to time, move people. But he doesn't do it every six months, <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, I was when I was a kid, I was a teenager. I could not wait to become part of the youth group. My sister had a great, great youth pastor, and boy, I was I was excited. He was a spiritual fella. He was an exciting fella. My sister learned amazing stuff spiritually. I saw a growth in her during her teenage years spiritually that I longed for. And when I became a teenager, I was so excited. And I got done with my sixth grade year. In the summer of my sixth grade year, I couldn't wait for Promotion Sunday to be in the youth group. And two weeks before Promotion Sunday, our youth pastor resigned. And uh, over the next six years, so I was in the youth group for six years, we had five youth pastors. In one year, we didn't even have a youth pastor. The one that stayed the shortest length of time came for two weeks, literally. Came, took us to camp, came back, was there one more week and resigned. That's how bad of a teenager I must have been, I guess. It's the way I felt anyway. But I promised God when I went to college and the Lord uh, moved me, I had a real heart for missions and really felt that I was going to be a missionary. Um, God, in my latter years of my life, gave me the, the great thrill of my life to go on some short-term missions trips and especially to the country that I had so much had a burden for, which was Haiti. And God moved a mission organization to my hometown and had the, the, the president of that mission aviation organization come and be a member of our church just so I could go to Haiti uh, several times a year. Isn't that the way God just gives you the desires of your heart sometimes? And I'm going to tell you what, 
Uh, that was the great thrill of my life, uh, to be able to have that opportunity numerous times to go down to Haiti and serve and work down there and uh, loved that opportunity. But uh, about halfway through my uh, my college life, I was working on bus ministry and mostly with inner city kids, and I got a, a just a tremendous burden for teenagers. And God changed my, my heart, and even though I had a heart for missions and was willing to do that and had been studying for that, God showed me that it was going to be in the area of youth that He was going to have me spend most of my ministry, and so I uh, became a youth pastor. And uh, uh, and I told the Lord back then, I, I, when I knew that that was the direction I was going to go, I said, Lord, I'm not going to do that to a group of young people. I said, if you'll allow me to, I want to be the world's oldest youth pastor at that same church. And uh, I didn't want to move. In fact, uh, it took three and a half years to go from 60 to 30 or so, two years actually to go that low. And it took about four years before we started seeing any results in the youth group. And I thought, boy, if I had left at two years or three years, and trust me, it was, it was tempting. There would have been nothing gained. They would have started all over again with a new youth pastor. And can I tell you this? I share that as an illustration with young people, but can I tell you this? It happens in churches too. And not just with a pastor leaving or coming and going, but with people coming and going. There, there, there is, we mentioned in Sunday school this morning, our, our actions don't ever just affect us. They always affect someone else. Our lack of faithfulness, our, our jumping from one church to another and for no apparent reason, no good reason. God's not leading us. God's not moving us. Or uh, I understand if a church goes wayward and um, maybe you're not getting fed or the, the doctrine is not there or something along those lines. I understand that. But when God puts you in a place, stay where you're planted until He moves you. And that's one way we can help to edify the body of Christ. Uh, look back just one verse with me. <clears throat> I'm going to read from verse 19 because this is really, really good. I love, I love this portion of Hebrews. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Man, I'll tell you what, this isn't part of it. We're going to time out, hold your thought there. We're going to insert and I'm going to come right back to it, okay? So we're going to hold a time out here. I read something here a few months ago. A fellow was describing after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ for thousands of years. The priests weren't allowed to go into the holiest of holies. Only the high priest could go. And even he had to back in. He wasn't able to face the mercy seat. He couldn't see the kind of glory of God. And when Calvary happened, the Bible says the veil was rent. From the top to the bottom. And I, he made a statement I'd never thought of before. He said, could you imagine being there on that day as a priest serving in the temple? And for the very first time, to look in at the mercy seat of the Lord. Oh, wow. And God gives you and I the privilege to come into His throne room at any moment and be able to pray and come boldly to the throne of grace. And it's only made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what, as Christians, we ought to get excited about that. I mean, the God of the universe, the God that is so holy that my sin had separated me from Him, He lets me come in now into His very throne room and to come to Him and say, Father, that's amazing to me. I hope we don't ever get over that. 
we find here is the writer of Hebrews is saying this, that, that we ought to have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. And fellas, folks, we ought to take advantage of that all the time. I, I mean, that, that's something that not every religion can hold to. But ours can. We get access straight to God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a mediator. We get to come directly into the throne of, the God, of God Himself. And it says in verse number 21, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. I don't know about you, but we fail God all the time, don't we? And for, for the writer of Hebrews to say, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, we would look at that and say, that's impossible. The truth is, we can do it because He is faithful. He's the surety of my salvation. He's the guarantor. And when I mess up, Jesus comes to the Father and He says, I've already put that on my account. I'll stand in Greg's place. Man, I'll tell you what, if that doesn't make a Baptist shout, I don't know what will. We get to verse number 24, and we find our second way to edify the body of Christ. The Bible says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I believe that there is demonstrated in this thought an idea of a sweet spirit one toward another. That there be something in us that looks to the other, not critically, but with a heart that is trying to bring out the best in someone else. You ever, uh, you ever meet certain people and you can't really put your finger on it, but you just love being around them? There's just something about them. There's a sweet spirit there. You know, that's the way it ought to be in the church. You walk in the church, there ought not ever be any strife. If there is, it ought to be taken care of, and then we go back to loving one another again. You want to know how to have an edifying of the body of Christ? Learn to have a sweet spirit. Learn to be encouraging, to provoke one another to good works and to love. We find that we ought to stay where we're planted. We need to have a sweet spirit. We're going to get through this quickly. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. Verse number 6. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. I want to put a disclaimer on this. Well, let's read it first, and then we'll... I'm going to back up verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. The word abound means more than is necessary. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all... What's the next word here? Sufficiency in, in all things may abound... To every good work, as it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. The third thing we can do to edify the church is be a giving church. I want to give the the caveat here, the, the disclaimer, if you will. We're not speaking here strictly of monetary things. In fact, if you read the context of verses 8 and 9 together, you'll realize that it's dealing with having a giving spirit. Somebody has a need, and we give them. You know the most valuable thing that you can give a person is your time. Life is precious, isn't it? 
Every second is precious. And there's times that someone has a heartache and they need somebody to come and sit with them, not to talk to them, but to just sit there and listen to them. He said, Brother Greg, that's, that's so simple. No, that's a giving spirit. There are times that, that there's a need for uh, uh, laborers and workers in the church. We can be a giving spirit. I may have to give up something that I, I want to do. But if there's a need, I want to try to fill it. And, and giving that way. I, I think we ought to give monetarily as the Lord leads and directs us. And certainly we need to be sensitive to that and the leading of the Holy Spirit in the area of our monetary and material possessions. But you know, there's a lot of preaching on that today. I don't think we need a whole lot more of it. But there's very little preaching on having a giving spirit. The edifying of the body of Christ. That we are looking around and aware and sensitive to the needs of others. To the needs of people in the church. And then being able to fill that need. You know, the Bible teaches us that if it's within our power, we're not to withhold good to them that have a need. That's, giving, that's having a giving spirit. So how do we edify this body of Christ? Well, we need to stay where we're planted. We need to have a sweet spirit. We need to have a giving spirit. Just a few chapters over to first, Second Corinthians chapter number 6. Second Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The way that we can edify the body of Christ is through having biblical separation from the world. Uh, we mentioned this morning one of the biggest problems and downfalls of the church at Corinth was allowing the world into the church. And we've got to be so careful of this. A little leaven, the Bible says, leaven at the whole lump. When a little bit of stuff begins to trickle in, and I'm not talking about somebody that's a sinner who is seeking help and they want help and we're trying to help them. I'm not talking about that kind of person. That person has uh, already made his decision to follow Christ and he's doing his best to strive and grow. That's a whole different ballgame. But when Christians come into the house of God or unsaved people come to the house of God and openly and blatantly continue in sin for no reason, there needs to be some separation. There needs to be some biblical separation coming out from among those that are uh, ungodly. Those things that uh, The Bible says that we're not to love the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the Bible says the love of the Father is not in him. That's a pretty strong statement. And how many people, because of our old flesh nature that still wars with the Spirit, cause uh, the world to come into the church house? Cause the world to come into our body of believers here at, at, at Keith Heights Baptist Church? Are there worldly things? You say, well, Brother Greg, it's only me. It's not affecting anyone else. No, it affects somebody else. It sure does. We don't know that other person's heart sitting right next to us. Maybe they're struggling with that area right now. And the fact that we're indulging in it is encouraging them in that weakness. How do we edify the body of Christ? We live a separated life. We live a life that is not fleshly. It's not worldly. It's not something that we pursue after the things of this world, the entertainments, the draw, the enticements of this world. You know, Satan's always used two tactics only two. In fact, you find him all the way back in Genesis when he comes to Eve in the Garden of Eden. He entices her. He tries to make sin look good. 
And then if he can't do that, and we find this, she, the Bible says when, when Eve saw that the tree was good for fruit and pleasant to the eyes, Eve was enticed. Then it goes on to say she gave also unto her husband two extra words in the Scripture that I'm glad God put there because it helps us to understand the intent with her. Gave also unto her husband with her. He was right there. The Bible says, and he did eat. Adam, I don't believe, was enticed at all. I believe Adam was pressured. Well, my wife had just done it. I better do it too. And can I tell you this? Satan always uses those two tactics. He tries to entice the weaker Christians. And if the weaker Christian is strong enough to get through the enticement, the next thing he uses is pressure, doesn't he? And the truth is, you look at any sin in your life where, where temptation came, it always came in the form of enticement. And if we withstood the temptation, if we ever succumbed to it, it was succumbed to it. It was because we were pressured. Knowing those two things, and he's never changed his tactics in all these years, it ought to help us to be on guard for him, be able to watch him a little more clearly. Separation. Don't be enticed. Don't be pressured. I, I know. I know. I know men of God, I know good people that have been in church, taught Sunday school classes, been deacons in churches, leaders in churches, that have gone away from the Lord simply because somebody pressured them. We've got to be so careful of this. And there needs to be separation. Number, uh, number five, I believe we're on. Hebrews chapter number four. Hebrews chapter number four. And uh, we'll look in verse number twelve. The Bible says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The, the, the fifth way that we can edify the saints, or edify the body of Christ, I'm sorry, is to be biblical in our approach. To be biblical in our approach. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but there are a few critical statements, I think, that need to be expressed on this. There are a lot of things that we may believe in our heart and we may hold to, but they're not in Scripture. If we're going to edify the body of Christ, we must be biblical. Uh, it's okay to have a preference. It's okay to live that preference. And if there's something that is not expressly stated in Scripture, but you've derived it and, and your conscience has taken you that direction, perhaps through the leading of the Holy Spirit, which is great, it is fine to live by that conviction. I'm thankful we have in the Baptist faith what we call individual soul liberty. That we have the, the privilege to live as our conscience is dictated, as it's led by the Holy Spirit of God, by reading His Word. I'm thankful that every person in this crowd is is encouraged to have an open Bible on their laps. Because I'll tell you this, I can be wrong. But this book can never be wrong. We've got to learn to be biblical in our approach. It's okay, even if we understand and we've come to a conclusion in our conscience based on maybe some principles that we've derived in Scripture, it's okay even to share that. But it is not okay to require it of another Christian unless it's biblical. We need to take some time to read Romans chapter number 17, I believe it is, perhaps, would help us in that. 
I think that's the chapter. I have to let you know if it's not. If you read that and you don't see the connection there, let me know. I'll give you the right chapter for it. All right. Number six. Number six. Found in Luke chapter number nine. Luke chapter number nine. How do we edify the body of Christ? We need to stay where we're planted. We need to have a sweet spirit. We need to have a giving spirit. We need to be separated. We need to be biblical. Luke chapter 9, and I love this passage of Scripture. I've preached on it numerous times. Luke chapter 9, verse number 57, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but let go, go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell that are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Three men here. It's interesting to note that two men volunteer. Only one of them is called by God, but two of them volunteer and say, Lord, we will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. The question comes up, were these men willing to follow God? Yes or no? Were they? Were they willing to follow Him? All three of them were, weren't they? They all three made this statement, Lord, we will follow thee. I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. They were all willing to follow God. The problem that, that, that they faced was that they were not willing to follow God first. They had something before that that they had to deal with. Can I tell you this? Really, the secret of the Christian life boils down to that one truth. It's either my will or God's will. The, be, the truth is, if every Christian would learn that and live by that creed every, every day, I'd be without a job as a pastor because that would solve 99% of the problems of the Christian life. It comes down to that simple of a decision. My will or thy will. The psalmist even said, Oh, that my ways were thy ways. He knew that that was the secret of, of his walk with God. So the next one that we find here is that there be a commitment to serve Christ first. That he have first claim. We need to be building this and encouraging and, and edifying people in this area. Uh, let, me, let me try to give a practical application of this. Let's, let's say uh, next week we decide, okay, we're going to have um, revival services. And we're going to have that great, well-known evangelist, Brother Dan Roberts, come and preach the evangelistic service here. And, uh, boy, we're just praying for a great time. And then uh, Brother Jim Beezer, I'm going to use you if you don't mind for an illustration, loves to go fishing. Boy, he loves to go fishing. And uh, he comes up to Brother Dan, who's supposed to be preaching our revival, and says, Hey, i got this hole that, that I'm going to tell you there's some good fish in this place. And, and I'll tell you what, we got this one night that we can go, that we're allowed to go. And it's right in the middle of revival night. What Brother Jim ought to do is say, Brother Dan, I'll be praying for you for the revival, and I'll, I'll be there to support that, re, that meeting. Because we need to encourage one another to serve God first. Now, I used a, a simple illustration here because I know those two guys like to fish. But what about Super Bowl Sunday? Uh, what about when the family comes into town? You say, Brother Greg, you're meddling. No, I'm, I'm telling you how to serve God first. I've had family come into town, family I hadn't seen in a long, long time. And it's been on Sundays before. 
I've had family that don't normally go to church all the time come into town. And I've gotten up on Sunday morning. And I've gotten ready. And I've woken them up. I made sure they were awake if I was awake. I made sure they had breakfast in time that if they so chose, they could get dressed and go to church. I almost went so far as to lay their clothes out for them. I didn't quite do that. But I made sure they knew that I was going to church and they were welcome. You say, Brother Greg, that's, that's family. Family ought to come first. Family ought to come first after we serve God first. And there's nothing wrong with family serving God together. I don't mean to be nitpicky about things, but when we come to edifying one another, these are things that we ought not look at and say, boy, I can't believe Brother Greg's preaching on that. We ought to be saying, boy, I'm glad he's preaching on that because that's been a struggle in my life and I need some help in it. Or I'm going to help, I'm going to help folks in my family feel that way. There's so many things that detract us from the things of the Lord. What about your time with God every day? Are there things that hinder you? Are there things that distract you? Do you go days on end without reading Scripture or spending time in prayer? Are there hobbies? Are there things? I enjoy flying airplanes. I enjoy shooting guns. Are those things going to take the place of my walk with God? I've shared with people before, in my mind, there's a, a punch list. My, I, my brain works in, in orders of priorities. And the, 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 the truth is, in life, those priorities are constantly changing places, aren't they? Depending on circumstances. Can I tell you this? There are certain things that never leave the top of the list. And that are the, those are the things that pertain to the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we going to edify... How are we going to edify the body of Christ, we're going to encourage one another to serve God first. As iron sharpeneth iron. Uh, I, I, we could go on there. There's further I'd like to say on that, and we'll maybe save that for another message. Luke chapter number 19, verse number 10. Luke chapter number 19. <clears throat> this is just one verse that we could pick. There's so many others we could choose from. <clears throat> For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Christ come to this earth? He wasn't willing that any should perish, but that what? All should come to repentance. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to condemn man. He came to provide salvation. We were already condemned. He came to provide us a way of escape. That's the good news of the gospel. And uh, the seventh way that we can edify one another is to encourage one another to be busy evangelizing those that are lost. You know the greatest joy, the greatest excitement, you want something that will stir your heart to revival? Lead someone to Christ. There is no greater joy than to see a miracle of transformation happen right before your eyes. You want to edify a brother or sister in Christ? Encourage them in the area of witnessing, telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about it a lot here at our church. We pray that God bring opportunity throughout the week for us as we go through our day. That there, You know how many opportunities we must pass in a week's time? There's times I get to the end of the week and I think, I think back on things that happened and I think, Lord, there was a missed opportunity right there. There was a time I could have spent some time there and that, that door was open and I didn't see it for what it was. You know, we need to be sensitive to that. We need to constantly be talking about that. I think it does as well. And I think one of the great ways to encourage each other in this area is to share with each other the things that God's brought into our life. 
the opportunities that He's given for us to witness to people. It helps to encourage each other in that area. Not that we're trying to keep count or we're trying to, 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 to pressure somebody into feeling like they're not doing enough, but in a spirit of humility to encourage one another to be evangelizing people. If this was the heart of God, then don't you think it ought to be the heart of God's people? If this is the thing that God loved, and I love God with all of my heart, soul, and mind, then don't you think I'll love the same thing He loves? I think so. I think so. Second right, uh, Timothy chapter 2, we're almost done. Hang in there. How many of y'all are tired? It's warm. It's a warm day. Y'all have full stomachs. Hang in there. We're almost done. Second Timothy chapter number 2, only 25 more points. Y'all say amen. You don't really mean it. You're trying to make us feel good here, but no. Only three more here. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 21. If a man therefore... Let's back up verse number 20. I've, I've preached on this before and talked about it before. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. I don't want us to misunderstand this concept, and I'm not going to preach the whole message to you again. But there's something that many times I've heard mispreached from verse number 20. And that is that the vessels of gold and silver were the vessels of honor, that the vessels of wood and earth were the vessels of dishonor. But that's not what the verse says. It says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. Four vessels. Now, out of those four, some of these types are, are some unto honor and some unto dishonor. If we misread this, Somebody's going to get the idea that I can only be a vessel of honor if I'm one of the elite of the elite of Christianity. Can I tell you this? God made you to be who you are. You may be a vessel of gold. You may be a vessel of silver. You may be a vessel of wood. You may be a vessel of earth. You have a choice, though, in whatever vessel God has made you to either be a vessel of honor that can be used by the Master or a vessel of dishonor that cannot be used by the Master. We've got to understand that truth. And that being said, verse number 21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet. The word meet here is an old English word that means suitable for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. We need to encourage each other in the area of our testimony. That we be vessels that are, when God looks down and says, I need somebody to do this job for me, there's a soul right there that needs to to have somebody come along and witness to him, who can I send? You say, Brother Greg, does God do that? He did to Isaiah, didn't he? He said, Whom shall we send and whom will go, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Then said I, here am I, send me. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God could look down and say, I, I need somebody to be a witness to that person. I need somebody to go and help bind that broken heart of that guy or that lady. Who can I send? That we would live in such a way, and our testimony be such, that God could entrust that, that, that task to us. Our testimony. Encourage one another in this. That we live in such a way that we are a vessel of honor. That the Bible says here is meat. It's suitable. It's useful for the Master's use. So, uh, again, very, very important. Alright, number, uh, number nine. Galatians chapter number six. We're almost done. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse number 10. 
Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We need to be a burden bearer. We need to be a burden bearer. We're to do it to all men, but especially to them that are of the household of faith. Can I tell you this? I think most of us in this room understand and know that if you live godly in Christ Jesus, we suffer persecution, don't we? The Bible even states that. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And there's no doubt that Satan has a target on our backs. If there is anyone in this world that needs their burden to be borne by others, it's Christians. Bear ye one another's burdens, Jesus said. I am not opposed to unspoken prayer requests. I understand there are circumstances sometimes that for personal reasons and things involved that don't need to be made public, I understand that. However, I do believe that there are many times for the sake of just not wanting to share, we simply keep it as an unspoken prayer request when the truth is we really probably ought to share it because we are to bear one another's burdens. And how do I know your burden if I don't know the burden? How can I share that if I don't know what it is? And so I want to encourage you in that uh, to be a burden bearer. All right, last one. You all are like, boy, we got through that. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And again, there's, there's probably 20 or 30 more we could have easily put on this list. How do we edify the body of Christ? We need to stay where we're planted. We need to have a sweet spirit. We need to have a giving spirit. We need to practice separation. We need to be biblical in our handling of, of, of circumstances and people. We need to be committed to serve God first. We need to encourage one another to evangelize. We need to have a good testimony, good walk with God. We need to be a burden bearer. And lastly, we need to have boldness and steadfastness. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And we'll begin ready in verse number 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul, of all people, was a man that would not back down. He was steadfast. He was unmovable. In fact, he's the one that wrote in the book of Philippians, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. But he said, I have finished my course. You know something that's been an encouragement to me uh, as a young preacher is to see so many older men of God that have been in the ministry that have finished life well. They're faithful. They're still today what they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. I'll tell you this, and I've told some of the men that I know in this situation this. I said, I've appreciated this about you. Because there have been times in the youthfulness of me being in ministry that the discouragement came, the enticement to drift and to move away from being biblical on issues came. And one of the great things besides the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and the leading of the Holy Spirit that has encouraged me, one of the things that has helped me and has edified me to remain steadfast has been to watch men of God finish their course well. Can I tell you this? There's probably no greater testimony you can leave for the next generation than for you and I to finish our course well. 
it makes a big difference. I hope those will be a help to you. How do we edify the brethren? How do we edify the body of Christ? And um, maybe you'll maybe you'll continue this list. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Take the Bible, find more. There's I, I promise you, there's plenty more in Scripture of ways that we can edify the body of Christ. And that'd be a great great project, maybe a good Bible study for somebody to do. All right, let's pray. And we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the practicality of the fact that here, so many thousands of years later, it's as fresh and vital and useful to us today as it ever was. We're thankful for its lessons that it teaches us and the fact that you chose to give us your word in our own language that we could read and hold in our hands. Lord, may we never, never lose the absolute awe and wonder that we should have over this book. I pray that you'd help us to hold dear to it. And we would take heed and take to heart the things that it says. I pray that you'll dismiss us now with your blessings. Thank you for bringing us here today. The time of fellowship, the time around uh, the music that we've sung, and the time around your word has been so precious. We pray that you'll bless throughout this week. May you encourage us along the way and open doors of opportunity for us this week. Lord, help us to recognize them when they come. That we would share the gospel with those that we can this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.